This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. The public health emergency for the pandemic is still in place. It has been anticipated to end on July 15th. In any case, when it does end, there are going to be some big changes on how the federal government treats telehealth. Medicare will have five months to reimburse telehealth claims. One concern in making reimbursement permanent is that telehealth may drive up healthcare utilization and costs. My guest today is Josh Gordon from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. He joins us now to talk about guardrails that should be put in place before we open the floodgates. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. Can you give us some history about telehealth reimbursement? Why had Medicare not reimbursed for this care before the pandemic? Well, I mean, I think the answer is more generally that um, Congress doesn't really ever do anything unless uh, something is super important or an emergency. Uh, So, um, you know, uh, there used to be um, an allowance for, you know, and this came about the last time Congress looked at it, where Medicare could do some sorts of telehealth visits where uh, especially in rural areas where a patient would have to be at a specific site and then have specific technology to connect to their doctors and Medicare would pay for that. But other than being at this originating site, um, Medicare did not cover uh, these kinds of visits. And then what happens over time is technology gets better, um, more widespread usage of what we now think of as, you know, pretty standard telehealth like Skype or Zoom or cell phones, Um, but Congress never got around to updating the rules uh, to account for this new technology. And then um, the COVID pandemic kind of forced um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to do kind of dramatic emergency action, allowing the use of all types of um, technologies and not um, forcing people to be at specific sites. Uh, So now Congress has to look at that and decide how Medicare should proceed on a more kind of permanent basis going forward. What happened during the pandemic? Was there a flood of claims? Yeah, um, you know, in some ways the data is still coming in, but it's pretty clear that before the pandemic, um, about 1% or even less than that, less than 1% of all healthcare claims uh, involved telehealth usage. And then at the peak of the pandemic in about April of 2020, uh, there were about 13% of all claims uh, conducted uh, through telehealth. And now it's settled back down to around 5% of all claims. And that's all claims, so private insurance and Medicare. But the Medicare telehealth usage has followed a pretty similar trajectory where less than 1% went up to 13 to 15% and now is settling back down at about 5%, which actually might be surprising to some people that it's that low, um, even though um, we just had that pandemic experience. 
Now, Congress is going to reimburse for telehealth visits for 151 days once the emergency declaration ends. That seems kind of like an arbitrary number, but that's what it is. Um, Can you tell us some of the reasoning behind this time period? Should it be longer? I mean, the figure is really just a stand-in for five months. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I I think they use days instead of months because um, you know, months are uneven in the number of days they have, and they had to put something exact um, in the language. And and I do think, um, you know, one thing that you mentioned was the public health emergency is uh, scheduled to end on July 15th. I think it's pretty clear that the Biden administration is going to extend it beyond the July 15th date. Um, they can extend it for 90-day increments. Um, or less, like 90 days is the maximum they can extend it at a time. Um, So I think we're looking at least um, until kind of October, uh, but my suspicion is that they probably will extend it um, until after the congressional elections in November. So, I mean, we could be looking at, you know, December before the public health emergency expires, and then an additional five months after that for the telehealth authorities to stay uh, in effect. So until then, Medicare will continue to reimburse for telehealth claims because that's part of it, right? Yep. Let's just um, talk about telehealth in general. Do do doctors like telehealth? I mean, does it allow them to care for more people in a shorter period of time? I think doctors like it now. Um, I think there was a fair amount of hesitation before COVID because um, it required really specific technology providers that tended to be expensive, um, you know, a lot of times tied into electronic medical record um, software. Uh, So it was a pretty complex um, thing. It wasn't just, you know, doctors couldn't just use Zoom or cell phones. Um, So I do think they like that freedom now to kind of pick their technology. It's not too burdensome on their practices financially. Uh, And then there's the benefit part where uh, it does allow them to um, see Uh, patients more easily and more frequently. It certainly was a lifeline during the pandemic when um, people were afraid of in-person interactions. Um, Doctors really were um, financially supported and and in some cases kept afloat by um, this kind of vast expansion uh, of telehealth. Uh, So I, I do think doctors like it. And honestly, that's one of the things we're a little bit concerned about over the long term. Uh, is that providers have a lot of say in how often we interact with them um, because we tend to do what our doctors want us to do. Uh, and if they want us to have a follow-up over telehealth, we're not going to say no. Uh, so doctors really will have a lot of control over the utilization of telehealth going forward. And we're worried that um, some of the incentives might lead that to um, increased utilization uh, and that, that leads to increased costs. Um, not in every case, but but in the aggregate, that that really is part of our concern. Uh, yeah, because you would assume that a telehealth visit would not cost as much as a physical visit. But Medicare, from the way I understand it, is reimbursing telehealth visits as it would for a physical visit. Yeah, uh, right. Right now, at least in Medicare, uh, we're reimbursing um, on parity uh, with in-person visits. And that that also is a big problem um, going forward uh, when we look at where we're headed in the future. Um, 
we think that if telehealth is reimbursed at the same amount as in person, that, that will also lead to kind of perverse incentives uh, that will increase utilization. Yeah, well, that makes total sense because when something becomes easier, you might be inclined to do more of it. And as you say, telehealth, we may not realize that cost efficiency. But, you know, I, I was just curious about this because I, I've had a lot of discussions on telehealth with some groups, and they point out that if you make access easier, um, the person gets immediate attention and we may prevent a problem from getting worse. In that sense, can telehealth drive down costs? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would answer that in two ways. There, there clearly are going to be cases where uh, that is what happens, that simple interactions through telehealth will replace more intense interactions with doctors, maybe avoid even emergency situations. So I, I do think that is part of the reason why telehealth is here to stay and will be part of our continuum of care going forward. Um, but what what concerns me is that um, what the, the way we have incentives in our healthcare system right now is often on a pay per service or fee for service uh, platform where the more things your doctor does, the more they get paid. Uh, and if telehealth just becomes another arsenal paid for by fee for service, that's going to lead to greater costs. Um, now and over the long term. However, you can think of situations where that wouldn't be the case. If doctors are paid for to see a specific patient over the course of the year, a specific amount, and then it's up to the doctor to decide how to treat the patient most cost-effectively um, without harming their care, well, then you can see a situation where doctors will choose the moments to use telehealth uh, that are uh, going to be most advantageous uh, for the patient and not going to cost the doctor too much. So having telehealth be part of a value-based payment system makes a lot of sense. Having telehealth be part of a fee-for-service system is what concerns me. Yeah, so like under Medicare Advantage, for example, where doctors could treat as they see fit, and maybe that would include telehealth. But I guess the point is that there would be no outside financial incentive to do that, as might happen with fee-for-service. Correct. So, so really, the issue here is how we run Medicare. You know, the other argument I've heard in favor of telehealth is that it can reduce the upsell that might occur in a physical visit. So you know how this works. You go in, they've got you in the door, you're pushed to this service and that service, and all of it is a claim to Medicare. Um, do you find any valid argument in telehealth reducing some of that upsell? Um, I, I mean, I'm not sure about that. I think what would more, like the thing that concerns me more is that if you have a check-in visit through telehealth, um, and then after that check-in visit, which is paid the same as an in-person visit, the doctor decides, well, for that problem, I need to see you here in the office then you go into the office and then basically you have two visits when one visit would have initially sufficed just going in person from the beginning. So I think that is that I, especially if the payment incentives lead to that uh, is more concerning than upselling once you're at an in-person visit, because I don't really see, um, I, I have a feeling doctors are going to figure out ways to do upselling via telehealth uh, just like they do in person. Um, and, and, 
and you know, I again, like, I don't want this to sound like I am uh, angry at doctors or think they they don't know what they're doing. Uh, I'm just concerned that when you have misaligned incentives and you have this ease of increased utilization, uh, that could be a problem overall for for national healthcare spending. Let's talk about the other concern that you have regarding fraud and waste. Worthy concerns. Was there an uptick in any of this when we ramped up telehealth during the pandemic? Were there fraudulent claims? Do we even know at this moment? And the issue of waste, you know, when you call and you don't get results and you call again and you keep making claims over and over again, you could see where that might happen. And then, you know, the issue of waste and I don't know what you would define this as, but recently a telehealth company came under scrutiny because it was writing using telehealth to write a lot of prescriptions for the stimulant Adderall. Again, you know, when something's easier, you can see how it could be exploited more easily. Uh, is this a concern that you have? So, I mean, in general, I do think that there are more opportunities for um, fraud um, and abuse using telehealth. Uh, the evidence, I mean, uh, kind of the unscientific evidence is that overall healthcare fraud recoveries have doubled uh, since 2019. Uh, but um, I don't know, like, we've just seen those numbers. We're not experts on, you know, fraud recoveries or when the Department of Justice decides to pursue cases. So it is possible that they stepped up enforcement of very specific telehealth um, usages uh, just to kind of be a warning shot to providers that, th- that they're paying attention. Um, but in general, the, the waste is what I'm more concerned about over the long term because that, that is a little bit more systemic instead of having bad Apple providers. Um, because we'll all, I, I think we will have the tools to catch specific providers that all of a sudden do very unusual things with telehealth billing. Uh, but my concern is more the waste that just builds up into the system uh, because we have kind of unrestrained um, usage of this new technology not tied to better outcomes and kind of encouraged by perverse incentives. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm most concerned about. Uh, but it, it does seem like um, MedPAC, which is the organization that um, helps research Medicare for Congress, they are pretty concerned about uh, the increased ability um, to use telehealth for, for fraud. And uh, so we support putting in as many guardrails as experts think we need uh, to make sure that we have uh, the information to catch those fraudulent usages of the technology. The other argument in favor of expanding telehealth is innovation. Now, just during the pandemic, there seemed to be a surge in devices, software, technology, all these things to deliver better telehealth. And and innovators are not going to do that if they perceive any market obstacles. Medicare is a huge consumer of healthcare, and if it does not recognize telehealth, an innovator might not figure that they would get the return on the investment in time and capital. Um, I know that we wouldn't even be thinking about this in a completely free market, but we do not have a completely free market in healthcare. If Medicare cuts the cord, do you see credibility in this argument that it would stifle innovation? Yeah, I think to some degree there is. It is clear that telehealth is something that is going to continue to be a part of care. And I think it's also clear that there are a lot of opportunities over the long term to integrate um, telehealth, especially audiovisual combined 
telehealth into our normal interactions with providers. Um, so, and, and I think that's here to stay. Like there's no going back, I don't think, to a time where people had to travel to a specific site to use this technology. That doesn't make very much sense. Um, so again, the, the whole key is how to incentivize that innovation, but not incentivizing overutilization. Uh, that is a problem that Medicare has across the board with um, kind of all new technologies from imaging to procedures to medical devices to prescription drugs. Th this idea that we have new technologies come in, but they tend to, in the healthcare space, make things more expensive instead of less expensive. So I'd like to see payment policy develop uh, that could um, incorporate telehealth, but in a way that lowers costs down the road instead of increases costs. And, and I think that future is possible. All right. So what are the guardrails that we should have in place if we decide to expand reimbursement for telehealth beyond five months or make it permanent? So the, the very first guardrail is, involves this extension of authorities. That um, I, I think what Congress should do is extend these authorities for two years after the public health emergency ends to allow us to gather more data from a time when the COVID pandemic is not the most kind of dominant factor in, in how we see our doctors. Now, that's already stopped being the case in large part in most places in the country, but I'd like some non-pandemic data on which Congress can base uh, their future ideas. So we don't want Congress to rush into making any of these authorities permanent, uh, because I think that it's always harder for Congress to change things that are already in law than it is for them on the brink of something expiring, um, make some uh, important decisions. So uh, we think the first guardrail is not to have permanent extension of any of this, uh, but to give um, the system a, a longer time frame in which to gather data and begin incorporating this into um, the normal course of healthcare provision. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, I, if Medicare could, I think um, opening up telehealth uh, more in alternative payment models in Medicare Advantage uh, and not in fee-for-service. I think that's another key guardrail. Um, and I don't know the degree to which Congress will be willing to micromanage that, but I think the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services will certainly be able to um, do some innovative um, modeling and figure out the best way to incorporate telehealth to where you don't have these perverse incentives. Um, and, and then finally, I do think there are some waste, fraud, and abuse things that Congress can add in. Um, we want to pay specific attention to when audio-only um, telehealth is used as opposed to audio-visual to see whether it's a worse standard of care and to see whether providers are kind of abusing um, that very easy audio-only interaction instead of um, kind of uh, the AV interaction, which is probably more um, realistic relative to what an in-person visit is. Um, audio-only really concerns me, especially in Medicare, where you could have providers just cold-calling um, seniors on Medicare, convincing them that they need to have a new interaction with the doctor, and then that doctor then gets paid. Um, we're also concerned about healthcare apps uh, where, you know, just interacting with the app instead of 
being kind of a very patient-driven thing becomes reimbursed by Medicare at very high um, in-person rates. Like that, that is also very concerning. Well, all of those seem like reasonable guardrails in a system where so much public money is being spent on something like we have in Medicare. Uh, your organization, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, has a paper on this talking more about these guardrails, and I'll include a link in the podcast notes. Thanks so much, Josh Gordon, for speaking to us today on the role of telehealth beyond the pandemic. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this discussion, share the link, send us your feedback, become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast so you can hear a new chat on free market uh, topics every day. You can find also more information on healthcare in the Heartland Daily News online or subscribe to our newspaper. Thank you so much for listening and for tuning in. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.